Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at the state of volleyball starting in Nebraska and around the country in six rotations. I'm Jeff Sheldon. I'm Lincoln Arneal. And man, it is a late night here at Volleyball State HQ. Nebraska's coming off a 2-0 week, uh, just finished up a four-set win over Kentucky. Lincoln and I are recording this to pull back the curtain at quarter after 11 uh, Central Time on Sunday night. We've both got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Um, but first, we've got six rotations on the state of college volleyball. Yes, it was a big week. We will talk about uh, the big matches. We'll start out first talking about Nebraska's win at Stanford. Then we will uh, jump to rotation two will be the win uh, Sunday night against Kentucky. We'll jump around and talk about all the crowds that are packing arenas across the nation, shattering records. And then we'll talk about the results and other teams that caught our attention this week. Uh, we'll close up uh, with rotation five. We'll talk about some of the big stories in, in, in the Big Ten before uh, looking at the week ahead of what will wait Nebraska as they open up the Big Ten schedule next week. So it's a jam-packed week, and we're glad to be here for another episode of the Volleyball State. That's where right. Can they, where can they find us on the social media? They can they can find us everywhere that podcasts are served up hot and fresh to your phone or your favorite mobile device. Yeah, you can find us online at podcasthousemedia.com. You can also find us online at volleyballstate.com. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at volleyballpod, or you can email your your gripes, your ideas, your compliments to volleyballstate at gmail.com. I know that's uh, we've only been up live for a week, Lincoln. Has anyone emailed? the volleyball state email address yet we've had one person one, one email was it uh was it complimentary was it yes. constructive criticism well, no, i should take two one was when we were still working on getting on spotify which we are now another okay. one was a, uh, was, a, was a story idea an idea to work on something. oh so we'll, uh, absolutely we'll that later lincoln you're still writing stories you're still in the writing yes. game folks can find your stuff online at huskers illustrated.com uh, uh anywhere else that we should look for your byline I will probably have some Big Ten stories coming up in the next few weeks on VolleyballMag.com. But uh, in the meantime, you can follow my daily random thoughts and other Twitter Twitter stuff at Lincoln underscore VB. And, and I will Twitter. occasionally still I will still occasionally tweet about volleyball when I'm not um, holding a five year old birthday party or putting kids to bed. Um, you can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon, just like a byline B Y Jeff Sheldon. Um, Rotation one, the biggest win Nebraska has had so far this year came Tuesday night in Palo Alto, a three to one win at Stanford, where Nebraska, honestly, Lincoln never really looked like they were threatened. They out hit Stanford 333 to 218, held the Cardinal more than 100 points below their season hitting average. And Stanford still brought all the firepower into the match that I thought they would. But Nebraska just matched them swing for swing. And especially early in the match, game one, Nebraska controlled things defensively. What, what did you see when you were watching this match on Tuesday night? Yeah, they really, they were getting their hands on a lot of Stanford attacks. And I think that was their game plan is to make, I mean, Kendall Kipp will get her kills. Uh, Katie Baird will get her kills, but, and then Leah Rubin would get her kills. And that's what Nebraska really did is they made them work for it, uh, and float up some of the attacks too. Uh, they were really effective against, uh, Rubin. I think she ended up hitting negative for the yeah. match. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just kind of frustrated their attack and um, made them work for it too with their, with their defense. So if they would take a kill or two, but realizing that they are the elite athletes they are, they are going to get kills. They are going to get hit, find the floor every now and then. But uh, Nebraska's defense, both of the net and on the floor with both uh, Lexi Rodriguez and Laney Torboy just chasing down 
uh, ball after ball really frustrated the Stanford attack. This was one of the better defensive matches that I have ever seen Nebraska play. And I'm going to, I'm going to drag us through a couple of key points in game four here in just a little bit. But it was also a very balanced night offensively for Nebraska. Uh, Merritt Beeson led the way with 15 kills. Harper Murray had 12 kills hitting 417. So a great showing from the two newcomers, um, for the Huskers there. And then Nebraska's middles got it done as well. Uh, Andy Jackson and Becca Alec combined for 15 kills on 25 swings to hit 480. And when you have that kind of balance and that kind of efficiency, not everyone just goes into Maple's Pavilion and hits 333. So again, freshman setter Bergen Riley take a bow. It was it was one of the better set matches that she has shown us so far this year, and she just continues to grow and grow and grow. Now that Nebraska is on a run of four straight matches after the Kentucky match, where they've hit better than 300. You've seen Bergen now for the first quarter-ish of the season. What sticks out to you about her? What makes this kid so good? I I think it's her way to diversify the offense, too. I mean, Merritt Beeson did have 33 attacks, but both outsides had 22-20 kills. I mean, even the middles aren't getting a lot of sets, but they're so effective. I mean, Becca had 12 total swings. She put down seven of them. Uh, Andy Jackson had 13 terminated on eight of them. Um, I think what, what, what makes her so effective is her, she's very deceptive with where she's going. And plus her back sets are mm-hmm. just, they're, they're a thing of beauty too. And they did a, I think there's a couple times in this match too, where the pass took her more forward than she wanted to come out of that center spot. So the middle run that they were doing was behind her and she would still do a quick back set right behind her to the middle. And it just, that's impossible. That's a stop. Those sort of mm, unexpected sets, when you can set the middle off of a, an imperfect pass, Mm -hmm. a lot of times it catches the defense off guard. And if you can get it anywhere close, uh, it's effective. I, I I know the set you're talking about where, you know, it's supposed to be the middle run in front of the setter, but the pass pulls Riley kind of into the middle's path. And so they just sort of, it's like an option route in football. They just adjust in mid play and Riley would do a, a short back set, almost like a short slide. Um, and, and there was no defender up. It was incredible. There was another, there was another set that I could remember where, um, she set Jackson and the set or the pass pulled her often at closer to the 10 foot line. And that's when you really don't think a setter is going to set the middle. You think they're just going to throw it up to the outside. And she was still able to lead Jackson enough that she put the ball basically through the floor. And so I think what we're seeing with Bergen Riley is a setter that's not afraid to make maybe unconventional, somewhat risky sets at times, but, mm-hmm. but to diversify the offense and get her middles, those swings as well. Yeah. And the one thing that John Cook cited that she did really well this match, especially too, was she, the, the passing wasn't perfect, but he, but Riley was still able to get under under the set and use her hands to set it instead of doing a bump set to her mm-hmm. outside hitters. I think that just opens up so many more options and makes the offense less predictable because when you're doing a bump set, you're going to the pins and kind of mm-hmm. defense can key that block on that. But that was one thing she really does well with her feet to get under the set, even if it, again, not a perfect pass, but mm-hmm. she can use her hands and push the ball where she wants it to go. And that's athleticism from Riley. She's a really mobile setter. And I remember, you know, Cook telling us once upon a time, usually your setters are not the best athletes on the team. Um, their job is to have good hands and to, to set the ball if the pass is anywhere close. But Riley sometimes has to go on some wild goose chases back to the 10 foot line to run down the first contact and she's able to do it, right? And still hand set the ball. What I, uh, I saw and I encourage everyone to look this up. 
Nebraska did a chalk talk with Jalen Reyes that showed up on social media this week where he kind of went through, uh, the reasons, um, X's and O's why Bergen Riley is so, is so good. And just, um, what I hadn't heard any coach talk about with a setter before is their posture. And you kind of hit on it a second ago, Lincoln, that she stands straight up and she doesn't give anything away with her head placement, her shoulders, you know, how she opens her hips, where the ball is going to go. And it's like a quarterback who can just kind of move you around with their eyes and and keep you off balance and not give away where the ball is going to go until it's set. And then by then it's, it's too late. And she gets her hitters on one-on-one matchups quite often. And you're seeing it in the hitting percentages. She's, she is having an outstanding start to her career career at Nebraska. That again, I also second that recommendation of that chalk talk from Jalen. That was, I mean, inside just not not about Riley, but also the reads they're making on the on defense and things like that. Phenomenal watch too. But to go back to Bergen, I mean, Nebraska hit six ninety six in the second set. That is, I mean, they had seventeen kills on twenty three attacks and one air. Um, that is just like, to do that. I mean, against anybody is yeah. To do that against phenomenal. air is pretty good. Yeah, but but to do against number five Stanford, who has giants in the front row and just a scrappy mm-hmm. defense, um, that I mean that may be one of the best offensive sets I don't know I've I've ever seen for Nebraska in my watching time. I don't know if so you can can you think of a better offensive output that you've seen? I great? mean, not not when it not when it wasn't against you know uh, one of those teams from America East that they play in the first round of the NCAA tournament where. You just wonder, like, what's the number going to, what's the score going to be? How many combined points is the opponent going to get? Um, so the offense was great against Stanford. And uh, we, Beeson 15 kills, Murray 12 kills, really taking strong rips too. Um, they were not getting into the tipping game against Stanford's Giants. They were wailing away and finding hands and, and, and getting scores, you know, both in and out of system. But what really stood out to me in this match was, was a stretch in game four where Nebraska kind of showed what their defense is all all about. You could make a highlight reel of Nebraska's defense for an entire season based on about a three to five minute stretch in real time uh, in game four. And I encourage anyone to go back and if you if you are DVR the match, if you recorded it, you can find it on streaming. Um, it's probably up on YouTube by now at this point. You can go back and find it. But it starts in game four when Nebraska is up 18-15. And just the ball pursuit that this team shows to keep plays alive often doesn't show up in the box score. But if you watch it, it's incredible. It was a play where Becca Alec got blocked um, not straight down. The the ball was headed back toward the end line. Laney Choboy sprints straight back and lays out to save it. Um, that's the first touch. Lexi Rodriguez has to lay out for the second touch just to keep it off the floor. And the Huskers are able to free ball it back. And I honestly think Lincoln Stanford was so surprised that the ball was coming back over the net after that, that they made a giant mistake. They overpassed the free ball. Harper Murray put it away. Uh, so instead of, you know, Stanford cutting it to two, Nebraska was up 1915. Yeah, I think you see hands go up like you tell Stanford was almost to start celebrating like, oh, this ball was still going. And it, it was Katie Baird who did. I mean, Katie Baird is a fairly decent passer too and just passed it to her setter, pushed yeah. it a little bit too hard. And, and Murray went up and just slammed it home. And I think Alec was our, was there licking her chops too and ready to go. But, um, that really kind of changed that tone. Like you said, changed a two point lead into a four point lead. And then, but again, that wasn't the only one because a couple plays later. Yeah. Yeah. Two rallies. Well, Nebraska's up 20 to 15 uh, two rallies later, you know, they're basically a point away from, I would say, feeling pretty comfortable about this. Lexi Rodriguez there again, uh, digs a blast from Elia Rubin, who did not have a great night for Stanford, but it was a great dig from Rodriguez. Merritt Beeson this time was the one who had to lay out to save the second touch. 
Nebraska gets it back over and Ruben tries to tip against the double block, trying to swipe it off the block and miss tipped it wide out of system, which uh, put Nebraska up 21 15. Again, the Huskers defense kind of scrambles their way to a point. You know, it's kind of the old Minnesota system I incorporate with or I associate with Hugh McCutcheon, which is stay somewhat conservative on offense and, and don't, uh, don't give them easy transition chances and just assume your opponent is eventually going to screw up and give you a good transition chance. Um, and so oh, two rallies later, Stanford has scored at that point to make it 21 16. Stanford serving a really great serve. Laney Choboy somehow kept it up, uh, off the, off the court. This time it's Harper Murray who had to handset a completely cross court out of system set. She was all the way off the sideline. She just fires it a prayer up to the uh, opposite pin and Merritt Beeson somehow tooled the block. Nebraska went up 22 16. And at that point, Stanford's probably got to be thinking, what do we have to do to put a ball down against these guys? And uh, Nebraska would go on to close it out in four. Yeah. And, and out of the first two plays you talked about, Stanford used their two timeouts in the how and in the, in the set. And- Tried to regroup and regather someone. And I, they challenged that last play by Beast. I forget what the challenge was, but it they were challenging Lincoln. They were challenging that if, if you watch it, um, Beeson's swimming that tools off the block hit the the tape fairly flush. And what Stanford was challenging was that the ball never made it over the net and that it didn't touch (laughs) their blocker. It just went out off the tape, which, you know, it seemed pretty close. And if you're Stanford at that point, what do you have to lose? You probably have to challenge that play, but it was a pretty quick bang, bang review. And, and they said, no, it went off the block. And I think the, the way the ball, the ball jutted almost 90 degrees to the left, I think after Beeson hit it off the block and made me think that it, it had hit something. It wasn't just a tape rejection. So, I mean, they, they, they had that break to kind of regroup after that. And I tell you what, I, I mean, between this match, the Kentucky match we'll talk about in a second, Nebraska's living right when it comes to the tape. They served like three dirty aces against Stanford. Um, Merritt Beeson somehow is like a wizard with the tape, it seems to hit a lot of shots that just kind of trickle over and throw the, the opposing defense off balance. You know, it's not intentional, but you would rather be lucky than good sometimes. Nebraska somehow is living right when it comes to the tape this season. Well, I funny you say that too, because right after that last Beeson kill, Murray serves up an ace that hits the tape and then mm-hmm. rolls over. So I think she had three aces in the match. All of them hit the tape and rolled over too. So they're doing well. We, we talked about it a little bit too, but the one thing that's impressed me with Nebraska both in this match and the Kentucky match, we'll talk about later, was just Nebraska's ability to finish out of system. I mean, it's not always the most effective offense too, but just the, I don't know if it's the attackers or the passers, whether it's Rodriguez or an outside hitter that can do a bump pass that puts the hitters in position to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to terminate. I mean, what, what do you kind of attribute that to? Well, yeah, they, they drill it a lot. Um, you know, the, I, I heard this quote from a number of different players when I was covering the team the, they would always say, we, when we're out of system, we're in system. And it's a nice little fortune cookie saying that a coach would use, I assume, but a part of it is, um, there's a number of players that are multi-talented enough to throw out bump sets. And then, you know, taking brave swings out of system is kind of a, it's a mindset. Like you have to be aggressive with it because it's real easy to just say, okay, I'm going to, this is off the net. I'm going to roll shot it to the back row. We're going to try to win this point with defense. But when you have a lot of hands up there, a lot of times when you're out of, you're taking swings out of system, you're taking swings from, from locations that the defense is not used to seeing you. So like one play stood out to me uh, in the match tonight against Kentucky. Um, 
Ali Betenhorst got pulled way inside um, the pin and and hit the ball uh, straight to the floor inside a block because the blockers were set up too far to the outside like you would if it was an in-system set. So, you know, I'm sure we'll have a coach on sometime that'll tell us what the keys to being a great out-of-system hitter are. And if you're not just physically dominant and can hit over the top of the block, no matter how well it's formed, you know, you got to be hunting hands and you have to be able to kind of swing aggressively, even when the circumstances are not ideal. Yeah. That, that, that's, I think and we, we talked about this in last week's episode, one of them with, uh, with Allie Batenhorst. I think we saw that tonight. She just is so tall that I think she hits that out of system ball really well too. I mean, that, one of my favorite shots that still sticks out to me was in the, I think it was in the national championship match against Wisconsin. I think it was. I, th- I think it was that one, not the Texas match, but somebody sent a complete cross court, uh, over the head bump pass to Baton Horst right on the pin. And then she just wildly took a swing, but terminated. And I think that was set point two to win it, win it. Mm-hmm. So. She's yeah, you got to have great that. vision too, um, because what you'll see a lot of times out of system is the defense is kind of scrambling and maybe not set up uh, the way that they would um, ideally. And if you can hit that back corner, if you can swing out of system and hit line or hit to the deep corner, um, you're you're going to be effective. And at the very least, you're going to put the other team behind the point and um, you know probably screw up their transition chances. Maybe put them out of system as well. So Nebraska gets a big win. On Tuesday night against Stanford and Palo Alto. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Lincoln. I say this, so, yeah, the significance of this, this is the first time Nebraska's ever won at Stanford. I mean, they've only played, this is only, is that right? They've only played three matches. They've played a lot of neutral court and some postseason matches. They played mm-hmm. a couple times in San Diego and Cleveland, but yeah, they played, uh, 1990, Stanford swept them. And then last time they played was 2021. Uh, when the junior class were all freshmen, I feel like they were kind of thrown to the wolves that match and, mm-hmm. uh, one and four. But I mean, first, so first ever win on Stanford's home court, but maybe more importantly and probably a better gauge, it's Nebraska's first win against Stanford since 2008. Um, and that was, and that's what, that was like a five match losing streak. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And that 2008 one was like opening weekend and early August match. But I mean, there was a mm-hmm. national championship match in there. Um, oh, yeah. This Min- Minneapolis. Michaela Fecky had 29 kills, I think. And it uh, was just short of being enough against Stanford. But uh, Huskers take down Stanford on Tuesday night. We fast forward to rotation to the match that Lincoln has just got back from. He is still wearing his tie. Uh, Nebraska takes down Kentucky three to one in what was really a thrilling match. I mean, Kentucky was two and five coming into this, this match and played like a, a top 15 team. Yeah. They, they, Kentucky just had a very, Tough schedule too. I mean, they they've I mean they lost to Colorado State in opening weekend, but a couple losses to Pitt, which is a top ten team. Um, they lost to Purdue. They lost to Louisville, another top five team. Mm-hmm. Um, they did beat Houston, so they do have a ranked win in their ledger. But and they, but they didn't play like they have been struggling and kind of figuring out their identity. I mean, they have a lot of quality player, a couple All Americans, a SEC Player of the Year, etc. Mm-hmm. Had, they're, they're, they, they were struggling a lot with their outside hitters, and I thought their outside hitters did pretty well too. It, Reagan Rutherford really carried the carried the weight too, and it, I mean, it turned into that. I think Nebraska came out and really dictated that first set um, with their offense, with their tempo, um, and with their defense. And Alexi Rodriguez also dominated that first set, getting 
everything in a 10 foot radius around her. It felt like up in the air and just continuing that set the tone for uh, that mm-hmm. whole first set too. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So Nebraska wins game one and two. Um, game one's a blowout. Game two's a little closer. Huskers hold on in game two. Kentucky comes out in game three, and I don't have the number exactly. Oh, I do have the number in front of me. Kentucky hit 432 in game three and just really started to show you their potential, and you felt the momentum really start to switch. Um, most of that did come from Reagan Rutherford, who you mentioned a second ago. She was outstanding. She had a match-high 19 kills in this. Um, she She was kind of Kentucky's... I would say the only weapon you were really concerned about coming into the match, but Kentucky also got a great performance from uh, Elise Getzinger, who I thought Lincoln, this was Kentucky was the first team I've seen Nebraska play this year that really challenged Nebraska with a middle attack. Everyone yeah. else was on the pins. Nebraska did not face a stud middle, I feel like, at all. And that includes Sammy Francis at Stanford, who did not get set that much. But Elise Getzinger uh, had 14 kills, uh, had four blocks, was was really that second punch that Kentucky needed. But um, Nebraska ended up uh, c- coming back in game four. Kentucky led game four 10 to five. And then I think. 1816, uh, in game four looked like this was going five. And I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, we're going to, we're going to start recording this show at 1 a.m. Um, but Nebraska goes on a 4-0 run. Kentucky's defense just started to break down a little bit, I think. And they started to make some mistakes that they were not making during the, during the earlier parts of the match. They commit a couple of hitting errors and Nebraska ends up gutting it out, um, in four. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I was looking at Derek, but the, the third set too was very wonky set too. I think it was two to two. And then Kentucky goes in a four oh run. Nebraska answers with a four oh run. Kentucky goes in a six one run. Uh Nebraska answers with a five one run. It kind of it was it was thirteen to twelve at that point, but that's that's where I felt like uh Gotinger kind of took over um and had she had a couple kills after that and and their offense really took to the higher level that Nebraska couldn't match uh mm-hmm. during that third set too. And um, and really, I mean, I think what the, the difference was is their Kentucky's block got a lot more hands on Nebraska's attack and Nebraska's attack became a little bit more predictable. And they had, Kentucky had defenders, especially in the back row setup where the outside hitters were attacking with that cross court shot. They didn't they kind of fell into a little bit of an offensive rut and a predictable, they're a little, a little bit more predictable, um, with where they were going with the, with their shots in that third set. And Kentucky took advantage and, and really put the clamps on Nebraska that set. 
Well, the Huskers had to gut out this win uh, without a couple of starters. Um, Lindsey Krause and Laney Choboy, neither of them played uh, on Sunday night. Both attended the match in street clothes. Nebraska still had four players um, with at least 10 kills for the first time all year. So another great job by Bergen Riley to kind of spread the wealth on offense. Once again, Merritt Beeson led the way. 17 kills, 10 digs. Identical line for Harper Murray. 17 kills, 10 digs for the freshman. Uh, Allie Batenhorst, who stepped in and started in place in Lindsey Krause, had 12 kills. And then once again, the freshman middle, Andy Jackson, uh, the, the highlight reel, uh, 10 more kills for the freshman there. Uh, Nebraska hits 338. Lincoln, it's the fourth straight match. Nebraska's had over three hundred. So I think when we when we did our first show, I was kind of grumbling about Nebraska not having a dominant offensive outing yet. And then for the last four matches, Nebraska's hit better than three hundred. I think I, I tried to do the math real quick before we uh before we started recording. I think when the Big Ten updates their numbers, Nebraska is going to go into Big Ten play leading the conference in hitting percentage. Uh Wisconsin did not have a great offensive showing in their win over Florida today. Uh Wisconsin had been leading by I think three percentage points over Nebraska. Nebraska hits three thirty eight. So they're going to go past Wisconsin. The Huskers are going to lead the Big Ten in both hitting percentage and opponents hitting percentage uh, going into conference play. Yeah, I get, I was looking at the stats. I think Huskers.com is updated. I think Nebraska is hitting 299 for the season, mm-hmm. too, which is really good. Um, I mean, it gets close to that. That 300 is kind of that threshold between a good team and an elite team. If you can hit 300 as a team, you're doing something uh, something spectacular. So, um yeah, I mean, Nebraska got the job. So, I mean, not to jump back to that fourth set, but, um, but so it came, like you said, Nebraska fell behind 10 to, 10 to five. And it felt like you said, we're going five. Uh, a couple big plays that really changed the momentum. First one happened. I think it was, uh, it was nine to 12. Uh, and then it became what I refer to as capital T, the capital R rally, the rally. Uh, yeah. Last it was 12 to nine in the fourth. Yeah, seventy-two seconds. I, I, I charted this out. I did. I posted a picture of this on my Twitter too. Of I think there were seventeen different attacks during that play, or nineteen different attacks. Uh, Murray had six of them, um, and and uh, Delay for Kentucky had seven different attacks, and just and even there were just remarkable. Lexi Rodriguez made two diving attacks and saved another pass over her head. Maisie Bozinger uh, had a pancake dig and made another diving save too. And Nebraska also rejected, I think five of Kentucky's shots, put them back and they did a great job of covering that. And it just took so much out of them. Murray finally had to, had the last kill after we said 72 seconds and just collapsed. She was mm-hmm. bad. I mean, did you get a chance to watch that or what? I did. I was, uh, I, I was telling Lincoln right before we started recording, I was, I was up putting our five-year-old to bed, uh, at that time. And I think I came downstairs and the match was on and I came in in the middle of the rally. And so I didn't realize how long it was until everyone started hyperventilating about it on social media. And I got to watch the whole thing because remember the, uh, that match or that rally ended. Craig Skinner immediately challenged it. He held up the green card because he thought one of those tips that, that Emma Grome, their setter, um, sent over landed, but Nebraska, it was, it, it ruled, um, that Nebraska got the pancake under it. I think it was Macy Bosiger. Um, and, and Nebraska was able to finally put it away on a kill by Harper Murray. But just like those points we talked about in detail against Stanford, I don't know how many times I've seen Nebraska be in these long rallies like this where they make a crazy save and they end up winning the point. And then on the scoreboard, it's you won one point. 
momentum wise, it feels like you just went on a 3-0 run, even though it was just one rally. And I, you know, you can't say that it took all of the wind out of Kentucky's sails. They were still leading the match at that point, and they would lead later on into the fourth set um, before some breakdowns started to happen. But once again, like points like that are like winning three or four points. Yeah. We talked to Harper Murray after the match, and she was very thankful for Craig Skinner for issuing that challenge so she could recover. I mean, it took a lot out of them. Oh, everyone needed a five minute break. We needed a five. I mean, I needed one just to catch up on my notes and, uh, the fans, the fans were, the fans felt like they were ready to erupt. And they, I mean, they gave a standing ovation to that play regardless of what had happened. It was just outstanding hustle on both sides of the net. But like you said, Nebraska is down 12 to 10 after that. There's a, I think three pairs of points. I think that really kind of changed the tone of the match, uh, and, and put Nebraska back, back in front. The next two came a couple points later. Becca Alec had back-to-back blocks. One was with Bergen Riley. One was with Harper Murray. Um, that, that put, put, uh, made Nebraska down 14-13 after a couple other, uh, service there and, uh, Kentucky kill. Harper Murray had a kill from the right side and then a kill from the back row that really kind of sparked them again, only put them down one point. What were finally pushing Nebraska over the edge is Ali Bainhorse had back-to-back kills that uh, tied it up and then put them up up by one, that 1918, that put them up for good, too. And that, that was kind of the final blow. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Ali Bainhorse played really well, too. I mean, you mentioned this early. Lindsey Krause was involved in a car accident on last Wednesday. She got rear-ended on O Street. John Cook has very strong thoughts about the... Oh, uh, we heard that, yeah. State, state of driving on O Street by some... Uh, he wants a crossing there. guard at 48th and O and, like, traffic cameras and... <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a tricky intersection in Lincoln. Like it goes from, it goes from three lanes abruptly down to two. If you're going, uh, west on O Street, I don't know the, the cer- exact circumstances or the map of what happened, but, um, yeah, some pretty strong words from John Cook about the, yeah. uh, central Lincoln drivers. So she was a little bit sore. She tried to practice Sunday, just kind of at their servant pass and did about 10 minutes with pepper and decided. No, but she wasn't going to happen. So Ali Bainhorse stepped in. I don't feel like there was much of a difference. She played really well. She brought aggression, uh, mixed up her shots and was, uh, played pretty well. And then, um, the other, but Lindsay Krause plays just front row. Her back row partner, uh, Lenny Toboy, she had an on court collision, collision with her teammate during the Stanford match, just a little bit sore. It sounded like, I mean, if Nebraska was desperate or if this maybe is a postseason, she could have gone, but I think Nebraska mm-hmm. de- decided to play it safe. Um, I don't, didn't, I don't know if any concussion was involved. It didn't sound like it. She was just may, may have been a little bit sore, but she's, they're both listed as day to day. So mm-hmm. uh, they could be back by Friday, but, uh, Macy Bozinger really stepped in well and she served for Allie Bain horse and then played, stayed in for like a rotation or so till, um, they got a different lineup in the back row and uh, Allie was able to play middle back. So, uh, just outstanding, outstanding job by those two to step up and kind of step into those roles. Um, g- given the circumstances. Yeah, just a couple more quick numbers from this one. We, we've talked about uh, Nebraska's defense. Lexi Rodriguez, the All-American, had 18 digs in this one. Um, Bergen Riley, also a double-double in this one with 46 assists. I, I would assume that's a career, that's a season high. I don't think she had 46 against Stanford, um, but she, she had another really fine match um, defensively as well. Kentucky actually 
hit an opponent season high against Nebraska, uh, 243. A lot of that coming from the, that 432 they were able to put up in game three. Um, but Nebraska guts it out. Kentucky falls to two and six on the season, but they're going to make some noise, uh, in the SEC, which I think is going to be a, a pretty wide open conference. I think it's going to be yeah. Kentucky and Florida, uh, in the SEC. Um, Nebraska and Wisconsin are going to go into, um, the start of Big Ten play uh, this week as the only undefeated teams in the conference. And we will uh, talk a little bit more about the Badgers um, match uh, this afternoon against Florida in uh, in rotation four. But we have we've been seeing these gigantic numbers all across the country, not just volleyball day in Nebraska, which drew 92,000, but these attendance records all over the country are falling like dominoes. Uh, Rotation three is about sort of the surge in attendance that we are seeing across the country in college volleyball. Uh, Wisconsin and Marquette played in Milwaukee last week in a match where Wisconsin was really on the ropes. They had to come back, I think, from a 24-21 deficit in game three that would have put Marquette up two to one. That was played at the Fiserv Center or the Pfizer Forum. It's it's the arena in Milwaukee where the Bucks play, but it was just over 17,000. Um, Louisville and Kentucky played earlier this week at the, the Yum Center. They drew a Louisville school record crowd, 12,760 fans to that. We had BYU breaking their attendance record at home. Florida broke their school record for attendance uh, today in their match against Wisconsin. Sorry, Lincoln, jump in. What were you about to say? I was saying Louisville also had more than 10,000 today when hosting Stanford. They were back in the Yum Center as well today, too. So, I mean, to have 12,000 and 10,000 twice in a week is... Yeah, that's not a bad week. That's not a bad week for the Cardinal, even though they they did lose um, that match to uh, to Stanford today. I mean, what's... Is there is there one central sort of reason we're seeing this takeoff in attendance? Is it sort of peer pressure, which I imagine Nebraska plays some no small part in is it these schools are, are actively seeking out opportunities to play in these large arenas because uh or are they just marketing the sport differently what's kind of going on here i, I think a little bit is kind of the trends the the trend that nebraska and, and wisconsin have set too i mean nebraska takes great pride in playing in front of large crowds i mean they used to play in the devaney center back before it was remodeled for them and they would get fourteen thousand people so that's something nebraska's always done and then other people started to realize why not us? And Wisconsin really set the bar last year. They held, uh, they set the then, uh, regular season record against Florida and the, uh, the Cole Center where the Wisconsin basketball teams play with just over 16,000. Um, after Nebraska had set a new record up in the CHI Center by hosting Creighton last year too. So I think that they, other teams took notice of that. And so I mean, you look at who these teams are playing too. These aren't, I mean, these are either rivalry games or they're, matchups against other elite teams in the country. So it's, I, I think they're, they're looking ahead and to using their off season, very productive, like, Hey, we got this chance where Stanford's coming to town. We need to host them or Wisconsin's coming back for return home and home with Florida. We need to take advantage and market this. So uh, I, I think they're, they're realizing that the potential is there. The interest is there. We're kind of hitting this crescendo with the sport and they're really converting that into uh, larger crowds too, and, and sets up for great environments too. I mean, all these matches were also, I mean, I, the BYU, I don't think was, but the rest of them that we talked about were all nationally televised on ESPN, ESPN two or FS one too. So having a television partner and then putting a great crowd really makes it an exciting sport to watch too. 
Well, I think you're, I would imagine you've got these volleyball coaches across the country who are seeing, uh, Wisconsin and Florida pack the Cole Center or, you know, when Nebraska and Creighton go to the CHI Center and you get 12,000 there, these coaches are going to their administrators and they're saying, we could do this too. Like, we don't have to just play in our normal home court where we're going to play most of our matches this year and maybe draw 2,500. Let's make this a big deal. We've got the number eight team in the country coming to town. Let's go to the basketball arena. Let's go to, you know, up the road to the larger arena and, and see if we can really put on a spectacle. And what they're seeing is they can do it. I, I think all of these was Florida normally plays in the O'Connell Center, which is where their basketball team, um, also plays. So they drew that on their home floor. BYU drew um, their 5,500 fans, which was a school record for women's volleyball at the Smithfield house where they normally play. But these other matches were kind of larger secondary courts. And I know Michigan now has moved into um, Chrysler Arena. And I think Michigan State still plays a match or two a year at the Breslin Center. So this could still happen. Over there too. Do they know? Yeah. And Kentucky's also playing all of their matches in the Rupp Arena, more so because of construction. Rather than opportunity, but well, try to get as someone who's been to Memorial Gym a couple times, like that's that's a step above Pershing Auditorium from a from a building integrity standpoint. I don't know how much asbestos is in that building, and it's it's a fine facility. I mean, they draw really really well there, but it is an old old building. Yeah, a moment of silence for the uh, Pershing Auditorium. Uh, oh yeah, hey, rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, it's resting in many pieces downtown. I drive by it often. What's interesting though too is, uh, at the same time people are, these teams are attracting all of these large crowds. A lot of teams are building either volleyball specific or kind of a, almost like a secondary gym. Yeah, like a multi-purpose what's, arena. What's surprising is Louisville, their normal gym, I think hosts 1200. I mean, it's tiny. It's a very that. small facility. Yeah. So, I mean, there's maybe one side of bleachers, but you see state teams like, um, uh, you see Ohio State. Um, you see, uh, even like Kansas State under which Nebraska yeah. visit. I, I Iowa down. has a new arena. Indiana Iowa has a new yeah. arena. And they're kind of in the 2000 to 4000 range, like a Coliseum type. And I think that that's really cool that they're investing in that, but hopefully, um, they're not capping their audience. I don't, a lot of these programs don't have huge problems, but it does kind of create that atmosphere that makes the volleyball matches a lot more. Yeah. If, if you're only, you know, if, it, if drawing 2000 fans to your volleyball match is a really good crowd for you, and it is at a lot of places around the country, then why not put them in a, in a intimate, newer state of the art arena where a lot of your Olympic sports are going to be? And it makes it feel full. It makes it feel like a big deal. And that's going to help you grow your program to hopefully, you know, can't, if Kansas State, is has a big match in town they can take it over to Bramwich Coliseum and play it there yeah 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 and it does there's opportunities there too so hopefully this, this is a good trend so um it's we'll, we'll be interested to see what kind of crowds they get I did check Michigan State does play all of their matches uh at the Breslin Center now too they made that uh shift not too long ago so let's move on okay. to uh, rotation four and talk about some results that are happening from some of these matches we talked about. Uh, I don't know if it was a surprise, but one of the big noteworthy matches I thought, um, was, was on the weekend Creighton, which is still without Norris Sis, went into Minnesota at Minnesota, uh, and won five sets, one in five sets there too. I mean, Ava Martin just really kind of stepped up and filled that void by Norris Sis. Uh, she had 22 kills and I think Minnesota scored the first point in the fifth, the fifth set, but then Creighton just took over, scored the next seven and, and really controlled and dominated that match. 
Um, what were, you, were you surprised to see Creighton kind of, I don't know if they rise up some ashes, but they rose up and right. made a heavy in favor of Minnesota team? I was surprised to see that result, and and that's not any disrespect to Creighton, who who we've seen now and we know is a very good team. But that's just a hard place to win to go into the sports pavilion in uh, in Minneapolis and and pull off a win. But yeah, Creighton Creighton went on a seven zero run early in Game Five to take control of that. Uh, Avon Martin is is playing outstanding, and Destiny Dam Simpson, had, the freshman from Westside, had another great match, kind of in place of. Uh, in place of Norris Sis. So Creighton got it done. I mean, if, if Creighton drops like four or five sets in Big East play, um, you know, I feel like they have such a high bar now um, in, in their conference. They are just head and shoulders the best team in that conference. And if they lose more than a match in Big East play, uh, I'm going to be stunned. So like Creighton always schedules very tough in the non-conference and, and they went swing for swing with all their non-conference opponents. They, they swept Purdue at Purdue. Yeah. Especially with the way that Marquette's kind of been struggling a little bit in their non-conference. I don't know how much mm-hmm. of a challenge they'll pose. I mean, they'll be probably the second best team in the Big East, but Creighton should be set up for a success too. The one other note with the Minnesota match too, uh, the Minnesota Sef- setter, Melanie Shaftmaster, uh, went down with a non-contact knee injury. She just landed mm-hmm. awkwardly, uh, left, I think in the second or third set, uh, and looked bad. She fell down. She also is wearing a big brace on her knee. Um, mm-hmm. but left, but came back to the bench and then was back in the match by the fifth set. So it may have been an ankle injury. I don't know. I didn't, I guess I didn't okay. see, but she came back and looked, look, didn't look good initially, but she came back. So that's something to keep an eye on, uh, going forward as hopefully she's, uh, back to full strength here soon too. We're, we're going to talk about Minnesota just in, in a little more in depth later on in, in rotation six where we're looking at, um, the week ahead for Nebraska because the Huskers and Gophers play next Sunday night. But this blew me away. Taylor Landfair, last year's Big Ten Player of the Year, one of the most dynamic attackers in the conference, is hitting 123 this year. And I don't watch enough Minnesota to know why that is happening, but that is shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, she's she's one of those people that can terminate from almost anywhere on the court, front row, back row, it doesn't matter. She um, kind of falls in the mold of the Stephanie Samity when she was dominating mm-hmm. the Big too, and just kind of uh, very terminal, but for whatever reason, it's not. And whether, I mean, I don't know if other teams are focusing a lot more on her because uh, Michaela Worcester, or sorry. Yeah, Michaela Wooker. Wooker, thank you, Wooker. Um, um, it's kind of f- figuring out her own spot. Their middles have been um, been okay, but um, but I think teams are just ganging up on uh, Lanford knowing that she's their best off offensive option. Yeah, she's been really high error this year, which is surprising to see. Um, some other surprises took place in uh, college volleyball this week. Washington State went into Texas. Not only did they beat Baylor, I believe, in the midweek, they stuck around a couple of days later, went to Austin and beat Texas in four on Friday night in uh, in Gregory Gym. So that was a surprise. Um, the team I have sort of been following for no reason in particular whatsoever, Georgia Tech, who had uh, an undefeated run to start the year, lost to their in-state rival, uh, Georgia, at home in Atlanta. Um, so those were a couple of the surprising results. And then, Lincoln, you were you had your eyes glued to the TV um, this uh, today on Sunday where we had a couple more top five matchups. Yes, there were kind of another big showcase type of day where 
you had, besides Nebraska, the other four top five teams were all facing off against each other, too. Uh, you started off in the, uh, the early game. Uh, Stanford was taking on Louisville, like we said, in front of a large crowd at the Yum Center there. Um, and again, Louisville came out, looked, looked like they were running pretty well. Looked like they were going to smoke them. Yeah. Wahoo native Ellie Glock just dishing out. I mean, run a very balanced offense. Uh, Anna DeBeers looking great. Uh, Charity. Uh, Looper. Looper, I think. Looper is also just very terminal, dominating. But all of a sudden, again, that the something shifted that third and fourth. Between that second and third set, Stanford comes roaring back. Um, ends up pulling a reverse sweep. Uh, I crunched the number, the numbers. Uh, Stanford hit above 400 for the final three sets. Oh my goodness. They, they figured out what was going. I mean, Kendall Kip went off and more so, I think it was, uh, Katie Baird just took over and said, this mm-hmm. isn't happening again. We're not losing twice in the same week. And she really kind of powered, uh, powered the Cardinal over the Cardinals. Um, Ooh, that's five. tough. I know it's funny. I had to be work, word, wording very carefully. Katie Baird had 23 kills in this match for Stanford. Uh, would not let them lose, and I was really impressed. This was my first time to to sit down and watch Louisville this year. The balance that you mentioned. I mean, they've got middles that can get kills. Anna Devere is always going to be a stud. Um, uh, Fikon Kong. They just call her PK. Probably PK, yeah, PK. Her uh, her name is is a little challenging for a native English speaker to pronounce. She was outstanding, and it looked like Louisville was just going to, you know, roll Stanford back to the Bay Area on an early flight. But then, you know, as so often happens in this sport, we almost saw it happen at the Nebraska-Kentucky match tonight. You get a little bit of momentum, and it is hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. And Stanford just just rolled to the final three sets. Yeah, that was very uh, impressive. I kept waiting for that turn around, but they never did. Stanford went that. But that was – so that was one reverse – Sweep by right. a road team. The other it happened team. again in yeah. the next TV availability window down in Gainesville, and this one comes, you know, with with a little more context around it. Uh, number one, Wisconsin went down 0-2 uh, against number three, Florida. Um, Florida was was running the show. Freshman Kennedy Martin was having an outstanding start to the match for the Gators, and then in game two, um, Florida setter Alexis Stuckey went down on the court, looked like a knee injury, um, came back on. To to the bench late in the uh, late in the match on on crutches with a brace on her right knee. Um, so you know you hope that for for Florida's sake and for her sake, this is a short term thing, not a long term thing. But that completely changed the momentum in the match. Uh, Wisconsin comes back from 0-2 down to uh, reverse sweep Florida and stay undefeated. Wisconsin's going to be nine and zero going into Big Ten play next week. Yeah, and this was, this was kind of the uh, Anna Smirk really took over this match as well too. I mean, at six foot eight, she just not a lot of teams have the uh, quickness or size or kind of ability to slow her down, and she really took over um, that latter half of that uh, set. And really, I mean, it was that first set I watched really closely. Um, Wisconsin only had I think six kills, so each each hitter had one kill, um, mm-hmm. and just. Florida's floor defense really kind of stymied them and uh, dug a lot of things. They eventually found a rhythm um, and, and found some answers. Sarah Franklin went off for a lot of kills as well, like she's one to do. Um, but really, they found, found the rhythm on offense. That 6-2 sometimes can be out of out of whack, but they rallied and will keep that number one ranking. It's going to be interesting to see what the uh, top five looks like. I mean, Nebraska 
could be number two. I'm guessing. My guess, my guess is that Nebraska is going to slide up to number two. Wisconsin is going to stay number one. And then it's just going to be a little bit of popcorn from, from spots three through maybe six, seven. We might see Creighton move up into the top 10. They should, Wouldn't yeah, they surprise me at all. Minnesota was right there on the edge of the top 10. They'll probably fall down. Georgia Tech was ahead of them. They lost. So Creighton's in definitely a good position to move up too. But, um, yeah, so there's, I mean, a lot of great, that's kind of, it's the exciting part of the last week of non-conference. I think teams really issue challenge of themselves, want to play some good opponents. So we saw a lot of top 10, a lot of matchups in between ratings. Um, but now that we're kind of closing up, uh, non-conference season, we turn our focus to the Big Ten. And so that kind of, before we dive into the Big Ten, let's look at some Big Ten teams, what they happened during the non-conference, uh, schedule during, uh, during rotation five. So Jeff, what, what kind of contracts yeah. some other Big Ten teams? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The I guess if I were to, to write sort of one overarching headline about the Big Ten, uh, to this point in the season, it's a surprise to me that some of the, the marquee teams traditionally in, are having pretty rough starts to the year. And some of that is, I think, because of tough scheduling. I mean, Big Ten teams always schedule tough and they're moving all around the country, playing some big name teams. Uh, you have a lot of transfers within the conference. So I think you see some, um, lineups taking a little bit longer to gel. Um, so for example, you know, Penn State, who, who is just on the Mount Rushmore of college volleyball programs is only six and three and has had their struggles throughout the year. Uh, usually when I'm used to seeing, I'm used to seeing Penn State up at the top of the conference offensive rankings. Um, so many great teams led the Big Ten at hitting percentage. Well, right now, uh, Penn State's hitting 233 uh, on the season. That's ninth in the Big Ten. And I know they've got a couple of transfers in their lineup. They've got a new setter with Mac Pedraza, who came over from Penn State. Uh, Jess Mruzik, who is a Michigan outside hitter. Um, is, uh, is, plays for Penn State now. And, um, you know, they're always going to be athletic. They're always going to hustle defensively, but I'm just really surprised to see Penn State only hitting 233 through a non-conference schedule that is normally, you know, they go into the conference hitting about 325 is what I'm used to seeing. And but I mean, they lost to Florida, Georgia Tech and Louisville were kind of their three marquee matchups. They did have a ranked win against Western Kentucky, but the rest of their non-conference was, I mean, Colgate, James Madison, Temple. They dropped a set to someone over the weekend that I was like, Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They dropped a set to Seton Hall and, and maybe, you know, they're going to, they're going to get it turned around in conference play and find some momentum. But just Penn State has, has not been impressive in this first start of the year. You know, luckily, they start off with uh, Rutgers and at North. I looked at their schedule right before we they're started taking like, Are you kidding the me? 10. They also, they, I think they play 
They play Nebraska twice over about a four week stretch. They play Wisconsin once. Um, they might only play Minnesota once too. Like, yeah, they play I don't know. Minnesota on September, tw- on September 30th is the only time they play them. So, uh, they and they start with like what Northwestern Rutgers and Illinois or something like that. Correct. And okay. they all, I mean, I, I kind of, I, when I looked at the schedule when they came out, I looked at the, the big six of teams that had finished mm-hmm. last year in the top six. They only play Ohio State once. They play Wisconsin, uh, once and Minnesota once. So they kind of, um, they, they, they got a good, good break as far as scheduling too, but, uh, Penn State's not the only team that is, uh, is yeah. struggling as well too. Uh, we talked about Minnesota and kind of their struggles. They have four losses, three losses. I think they're four and four. Yeah. All t- I'm not looking ranked, at it right now. So all, all don't teams, take my word so, for it. Um, um, but they, they, they've kind of struggled a bit too. Um, but the other team that I was really surprised was Ohio State is three and six. I mean, there was a lot of turnover. You mentioned that uh, like Mac Pedroza went, went to Penn State. They had a, a mass exit at Gabby Gonzalez is now at Oregon. Um, but so there, I mean, it's they lost like, their, didn't they lose their libero? Kylie Muir is now at Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Kylie Muir's in Minnesota. Um, they lost another one of their hitters to, uh, Clemson. Um, but just their, their, their graduating class, they kind of promised incoming freshmen will keep your scholarships. Um, and, uh, they really had, they really went uh, very young. Mia, Mia Tuman is the new setter and it's just been rough going. Yes. Yeah. Emily Londot is still there. She's carrying the load, but again, kind of like, kind of like Taylor Landfair. I mean, she racks up, get, gets, yeah, she's high air kills, but there's also again double digit airs. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's not the same Ohio State team that has been the last couple of years when they're making regional semis, regional finals. Minnesota's actually, or sorry, Ohio State's actually lost six in a row coming into, um, Big Ten play their their Big Ten opener against Nebraska on a Friday. I believe all six of those losses are to ranked teams, but still not the kind of momentum you want to have going into conference play. Uh, Purdue is having an up and down season. Uh, I watched the Purdue play late Friday night. Uh, they lost at home to USC. Seems like every Purdue match goes five sets now. That's just kind of their thing, except for when they got swept at home by Creighton. But Purdue um, has a couple really good, really young pin hitters, freshmen and sophomores, but they're, they're not putting teams away. They're losing on their home court and they, they dropped one to, to USC, uh, on Friday. And so like, these are the top six teams, you know, when you add in Nebraska and Wisconsin that we usually talk about in the big 10. And right now only Nebraska and Wisconsin are the ones that look like, uh, you know, teams that are going to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's that kind of, I wrote a, uh, kind of a lessons we learned from the non-conference schedule. And my, one of my questions was, is the Big Ten going to be a two-team race? I mean, is, is, has anybody shown the ability to play consistently or play at a high level week in, week out, like Nebraska and Wisconsin have done during the, uh, non-conference? I mean, the Big Ten grind is a little bit different too, but, um, there's been a lot of growing pains. Um, I'm, this isn't a discount. Well, it is actually to discount Rutgers, uh, non-conference schedule. They lost, they lost one time, but they played uh, absolutely nobody. They played lots yeah. of, but, um, Indiana's a little bit interesting as well, too. They, they returned a very experienced team from one of the best teams they've had in a long while. Um, but really it's just, uh, I don't I mean Illinois still has Raina Terry back for her. Yeah. 14th year on campus. who did Illinois just lose to this weekend I watched that match too but that was a five setter that I think they got reverse swept they won the first two sets 
and then uh, drop the, the last three sets uh, on their home floor because Raina Terry feels like she's been in Illinois for about eight years now. Uh, they lost to both the USC. They were they were at the Purdue Challenge this weekend. That's what it was. They lost the USC in five and also Central Florida in five. So Central Florida was the match I watched that they 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 pulled the reverse sweep on that. They just yeah Illinois five and five. They have a five set loss to Wichita State. Uh, they also got swept by Notre Dame, swept by Oklahoma. So just not, not a lot of matches that instill confidence mm-hmm. that this is the year. Uh, I think I, I did look this up. Illinois has finished eighth, seven of seven, seventh in the conference for the last five years. <laughs> so just, they're just, so outside it's consistency, that top, just outside that top six, but they, they aren't bad, but they aren't great. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you look at these records, granted, it's a small sample size. And we saw this with Kentucky today. You never would have guessed that team was two and five with the way they played Nebraska. And these teams that we're talking about and, and sort of damning with faint praise have great talent because almost every big team does and big 10 team does. And so what that gives you is a puncher's chance. And some of these teams are going to jump up and bite some teams uh, higher than them in the standings. I wouldn't at all be shocked if Ohio state gave Nebraska every, every bit that they could handle on Friday night. I think we should probably move into rotation six at this point and talk about Nebraska's um, big 10 opening slate uh, this coming weekend. So Huskers get to open at home. It's another Friday, uh, Sunday um, weekend. Nebraska opens with Ohio state late on Friday night. It's an 8 PM start. I think, um, is that right? It's going to affect you more than me, man. Although I don't think either of us are on deadline anymore. But uh, Nebraska is going to open against Ohio State and then turn around on Sunday night and play uh, Minnesota at uh, 6.30 p.m. So the Huskers, a, a decent chance. You know, they're, they're, this is not they're not starting against Maryland and Rutgers. They're starting with two, I guess at this point would be mid tier big 10 teams. Both of these teams have a lot of talent. Uh, their records don't really uh, showcase the talent that they do have. Um, but this is going to be a, a tough match. Ohio state always seems to give Nebraska every bit that they can handle. Even under the former coach, Jeff Carlston, came in and beat Nebraska in the Devaney center uh, a couple of times. And so Ohio state's lost six straight coming into big 10 play. All the losses have been to ranked teams. And anytime you have Emily Londot on your team, you have a puncher's chance to win. Uh, she's uh, Ohio state's outstanding outside hitter. She leads the big 10 at 4.8 kills a game. Um, Riley Raiders, another player, their middle blocker who I feel like has been in college for about seven years at this point, because she, played really well against Nebraska as a freshman, but those are the two that kind of make um, Ohio state go. And they're going to be Nebraska's big 10 opener on uh, Friday night. Yes. Yeah. Ohio state has actually won three of the last four meetings against Nebraska. Um, and a couple, two of those were home and they got swept And Well, uh, I should say spring, they, they split the uh, COVID matches in front of nobody in 2021, spring of 2021, and then, uh, lost their only Nebraska lost their only meeting in the fall of 21. And then the last year they split with, uh, both teams, uh, winning on their home court. So, uh, and, and Nebraska, that, they lost the first set, uh, two of those, two of those four sets that Nebraska won, uh, went to extra points too. So, uh, again, this is a kind of a Ohio State team that's in transition. They're very young. They brought in a, a pretty good recruiting class. Um, but still trying to figure out how the pieces all fit, uh, and, and what, what they can do as well too. But, um, it'll be interesting to see what the, I mean, Jen, Jen Flynn Oberding, who's the new coach, um, oh, very, very good. I'm very impressed with her. She's, 
uh, really built a good team there. And uh, can- this is her second year, right, on the bench in Columbus, second or third? Third year, yes. Okay, great. So Ohio State is who Nebraska has on Friday nights, and then Sunday night. It's our old friends uh, from Minnesota. Actually, let me let me throw one more number out there about Ohio State. I, I had this written down and I scanned right over it. Uh, Ohio State's offense, despite having the Big Ten leader in kills per game, is one of the worst in the conference uh, statistically. They're 13th, so second to last in the Big Ten in hitting percentage. They're only hitting 215 as a team. And defensively, they're last in opponent hitting percentage. They're letting opponents hit an average of 243. So when you're a Nebraska team that comes in on a hot streak offensively, you have to like um, seeing both of those numbers uh, in front of you. Minnesota has also played a really tough non-conference schedule. They're 4-4 four and four coming into Sunday night's match. All of their losses have been to ranked teams, including their five-set loss to Creighton uh, over the weekend. I, I don't know we should keep an eye on throughout the week what Minnesota's setter position is going to look like if um, if uh, Melanie Shaftmaster is going to be able to go. I couldn't even tell you who Minnesota's backup setter is, but they would have to um, probably do a little scrambling to to get them ready to go on uh on sunday i looked this up because i was live tweeting that match uh it's a, a transfer they have from um uh who transferred from kansas a year ago so this is in her first year with the gophers but um she she transferred there she used to be at um at kansas before she came and her name is elise mcgee so she's a senior okay. setter, been around a little bit um uh, five ten. Um, from another another one out of the Kansas City uh, development um, mm-hmm. pipeline. So, um, she only played. She didn't didn't play much. Uh, she she played yeah twenty eight matches last year. So, um, but came from Kansas. So. We'll see, have to see how she's doing as well, too. So Minnesota's got some real, some real talent on the pins. We mentioned Taylor Landfair, who was last year's Big Ten player of the year, even though she's having a rough start to this year. Um, McKenna Wooker's averaging 3.3 kills a set. So she's really solid. And then, uh, the player who, who jumped out to me, uh, in their loss to Creighton, uh, Lydia Grote, who's a transfer from Cal, I believe had 20 kills, um, in the Gophers tight loss to, to Creighton over the weekend. So Minnesota has players who can put the ball away. They're always tough. They always play Nebraska tough. Um, this is Keegan Cook's first year leading, uh, the Gophers. And so they're, they're tough schedule to start the year continues because they have to come to Lincoln to uh, start Big Ten play on Sunday night, which probably means we're going to be taping this either late, late Sunday or, you know, maybe we're going to carve out some time and just push it a day later and record on Monday and, and drop next week's show on Tuesday. But that's, uh, that's what the Huskers got to start, uh, Big Ten play. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm sorry. We promised he's coming out Mondays. We didn't realize the first two weeks that we were going to record this. We both had 630, uh, Sunday night start time, but we'll get it to you. We'll get it to you soon enough when, as long as we can, uh, as long as it doesn't go five sets, hopefully we can get it. Get it to yeah, you. if this is a five setter, we might just punt until like Wednesday and make it a midweek thing. So, um, we're grateful to uh, Podcast House Media for giving us a home. You can find all of their great shows at podcast, podcasthousemedia.com. You can find us online at uh, volleyballstate.com and also on Twitter at volleyballpod, where occasionally we'll be able to follow matches and we'll share, um, some of the big stories throughout the week, including a lot of the ones that Lincoln works on for Huskers Illustrated. You had a feature this week. On- 
Lainey Choboy, which I thought was really good. And you got to dive into a little bit about uh, what makes her special and, and what she adds to Nebraska's defense is a shame that she couldn't play uh, tonight against Kentucky. But go check that out with Lincoln Rights at, at Huskers Illustrated. You can find uh, the show if you want to email the show. Join the the two people who have done it so far at uh, volleyballstate at gmail.com. And we, you can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at, uh, by Jeff Sheldon. That's B Y Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me at Lincoln underscore VB. So thanks again for listening and, uh, have a great week. And we'll be, uh, in touch after another week living in the volleyball state. <laughs>